Welcome to the podcast of Living Water Bible Fellowship. We are a church in Alamosa, Colorado, and here you can find our sermons and other occasional teachings. We hope and pray that this podcast encourages you in your walk with Jesus and increases your understanding of God's Word and the Gospel. Through Jesus, anyone can have new life, can have freedom, and can have ultimate salvation. Stick around to the end of this podcast to learn more about what the gospel is and how to be saved. And now, on to our teaching. Well, amen, Lord. We are uh, so grateful for you, uh, your, the hope of the gospel. We're so grateful for you saving us. We're so grateful for the news that you rose from the dead and that in you we will rise from the dead as well to live forever in glory. So grateful, Lord. We uh, love you so much. Lord, as we open your word, uh, please speak. Uh, let, this, let the church hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, and let us respond as you would have us respond. If we need to repent, let us repent. If we need to uh, be encouraged to continue fully on in the way we're going, let us be encouraged. Lord, uh, speak to your church. We're listening, and we want to be your church. We want to be the people of God as we're waiting for your coming as we're waiting to uh, arrive at home, we, uh, we ask that we could serve you well and worship you well and glorify you in the days that we have remaining. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you'd open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. We're continuing our sermon series uh, to the book of Revelation. And last week, we at the end of chapter 1, we really got a picture of Jesus, a selected picture of Jesus. The, the images that Jesus wanted us to see about himself that would reveal his character, reveal who he, what he is, and uh, as the glorified Christ, uh, condescending to us, uh, showing us images that we can relate to and understand. He's the ruler. He's the Lord. He's the judge. And he's coming soon. And uh, I think the, the message last week, we really, uh, I called us to ask the question, are we ready to meet him? Are we ready to uh, meet our Lord? How would He find us if He came back uh, soon in, in our lifetime? How would, how would He find us as a church? Are we, are we living in a, in a way that is appropriate to being Christian? Is, are we living in a way that's indicative of us having a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are we living in a way He's called us to live? Now, the first vision, I think, that extends through chapter 3 is for the church, um, Will we hear, will we respond to how he... It's, it's a very fascinating season, I think, for us as a church, because over the next seven weeks, uh, we're going to look at the different ways that Jesus evaluates local churches. A church, what is a church? It's an assembly of believers who have been brought together in, in a local assembly of believers, brought together to worship Jesus, to serve Jesus. How are we doing in that? Uh, are we living... Um, in worldly ways, we're living in selfish ways, we're living uh, in ungodly ways, are, are we living for Jesus? Um, so Jesus has this, this, uh, this, this letter that he sent. Some people are shocked to think about Revelation as a letter that's sent to various churches and uh, evaluating them, calling them out, challenging them, encouraging them. This is how I want you to be as a church. This is how I want you to be as a local assembly, living life together for the glory of God. And we get to, over the coming weeks, kind of look at ourselves through the prism of these seven churches. How are we doing, Lord? Are we pleasing to you? 
Are we honoring you? Are we glorifying you or not? And that, from a church-wide level, from a corporate level, that comes down to each person in each seat. Am I walking with Jesus? Am I living for Jesus? Am I being the man of God that he wants me to be or not? And so we come to chapter 2, verse 1, uh, the first of seven individual letters to churches, but again, the, it's meant for the church universal. Uh, as the Spirit speaks, it's a fascinating kind of way it's come to us. Remember in the first week we looked at this, this sermon series, the Father gave a revelation, an apocalypse to Jesus. Jesus sent an angel to uh, Apostle John. John brings it to the churches uh, and now the, the letters are coming to the individual churches in, in Asia Minor, modern-day Western Turkey. And, and now the Spirit is using this revelation to speak to the churches, the, the Spirit of God dwelling within the body of Christ, the Spirit of God that's here today speaking as He will and as He wants to to His people, calling us to become and be the people of Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, and bearing up for my name's sake, you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, uh, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat in the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So we come to this, uh, this individual church, the church of Ephesus. Uh, there's different debate, there's different understandings about when the church started, when the book was written. Of, of, I take it as a late writing, the late... Uh, part of the first century, and uh, the, book, the church of Ephesus, if we kind of do the math, going through the book of Acts and, and different things, uh, we think it started about AD 53. So if the book of Revelation, and it's debatable, you know, we don't want to be dogmatic about things, we don't have to be, but if the book is written about AD 95 or 96 by the elder apostle John, um, the church is about 42, 43 years old right about the same age as Living Water Bible Fellowship. Fascinating. We're, we're about 46, 47 years old, middle-aged. I don't know. I don't know. Churches, that's probably not appropriate to talk about churches that way because some churches have lasted for hundreds of years. Some churches are planted and they last for five years or 15 years or, or 72 years or whatever. Who knows what our lifespan is going to be as a church. We hope it's long. We hope it's vibrant. We hope it's fruit-bearing for centuries to come if Jesus tarries. 
We want to glorify God as a church. Uh, the, the, there's so many parts here, but you'll see it week by week. Uh, the way that the, the letters come to the churches, uh, there's, certain, there's a certain pattern that's followed. Like at the end of, of the, this section, verse 7, there's a promise to him who conquers, to the churches that overcome. Some of your translation said, overcome. Uh, if you overcome, if you conquer, there's a promise that you're going to eat from the tree of life in the garden of God. Now, remember that, that goes, and so again, as we talked about at the beginning of this study, there's so many allusions to the Old Testament, so many allusions to history, historical accounts that uh, God has already overseen. Uh, go back, way back to, way, to Genesis, and remember when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin. And the grace of God, while God put this flashing sword, this angel, to protect Adam and Eve from coming back into the Garden so they wouldn't eat from the Tree of Life and live forever in their sin. What a grace of God that he would protect Adam and Eve, even as he provided skins for their covering, a symbol of providing for their spiritual need. He protected them from uh, being an eternal death and sin. But the promise for believers, the promise for overcomers, uh, conquerors, it's, it's a, probably a pretty strong term to defeat the enemy, to overcome, to, to conquer, is that if you continue in your faith till the very end, you will have that salvation, that, that eternal relationship with God. You will be in that place with God, in the presence of God forever. What, a, what an encouragement. Because he lives, uh, I can face tomorrow because I, can, I'm, I know this short-term life, these short-term sufferings, these trials, these tribulations, whatever you're going through right now, they're short-term Think about long-term revelation. The encouragement of the book of Revelation is to call us to think long-term, to see things from God's perspective. Man, you brethren, brothers and sisters, don't you give up on your faith. Don't you deny Jesus. Don't you walk away from walking with the Lord because this soon will be over. Amen. We're going to be with the Lord forever. Amen. I mean, what a, great, what a great picture to, to bite into a, a piece of fruit, you know, and have life, abundant life with God, you know, walking in the cool of the day with God, so to speak. Uh, what, a, what a great picture. But there, there's the promise. Now, Jesus starts off this section by, uh, as he does in every, every section that he writes to the churches. Again, last week we talked about the angel of the church and some of the different ways to interpret that. But somehow Jesus is, is saying to the church, I have you in my sovereign right hand. I have a grip on you. Whatever the world's wins, whatever comes, whatever challenges, whatever trials, whatever attacks, I've got you in my right hand. I'm holding on to that, that angel, so to speak. Now, if that's a personification of the church, or if that's the, the elders of the church, or the messenger to the church, we're not sure. The church itself, there's a lot of different interpretations. But the, the, what we're getting here is that God has us as a local church. Now, denominations are falling apart right now. The, the whole uh, ecclesio, ecclesiology of, of so many different uh, ways of thinking about church through the Middle Ages, through the Reformation, up until the 19th and 20th century. Whole new paradigms right now, whole new wineskins, so to speak, um, that are being applied. But uh, every local church belongs to Jesus. This isn't a pastor's church. This isn't a denominational church. If we're honest, if, if you call yourself a Roman Catholic church, you call yourself a Reformed church, call yourself a Baptist church, at the end of the day, every local church, the, because the church is the people, you and I have been redeemed. You and I have been ransomed. You and I have been reconciled to God. We've been brought into the body of Christ. We're now brethren, people of Jesus. 
uh, a one, as one man standing before the Lord, he owns this church in the sense it's, it's not an institution, it's not buildings, it's not a campus, right? The people, you're the people, you're the church. And Jesus is our Lord. He bought us with his blood. Man, we belong to him. And if, if you are missing that, uh, it's, it's time to grow up and remember who you are, whose you are. And he is, he is our sovereign Lord in, in all those images from chapter 1 and all those wonderful truths and teachings from chapter, chapter 1 to apply that to your life. But uh, we have this, this imagery that comes in the book of Revelation, gives John these visions, these scenes, these sights, these pictures to convey some truth that Jesus wants us to know about. Uh, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, he's, he's holding the angels of the churches, as it were. He, he's got them right there in his sovereign grip. He walks among the seven golden lampstands. Isn't that a... Isn't that a a really fascinating metaphor or analogy to describe the local church. Hey, what's your church about? Well, I'm a lampstand. We're a lampstand, right? I mean, couldn't he come up with some grander, more, I don't know, beautiful scene or something like that? I mean, it's golden lampstand, but still, it's just a lampstand in a sense. Um, what does a lampstand do? Well, shockingly, it's a stand to hold a lamp. Deep theology today. <laughs> to shine a light. The purpose of the church is to shine a light. To shine truth. To, to bring truth in the darkness. To bring light into a lost world. To bring God's revelation to a, a world that needs it. What, 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 is a, what else does a lampstand do but bring light into the darkness? Would you say our world today is full of light? Would you say our world today is, is just uh, living the best lives possible, <laughs> that they're thriving, they're, they're, I would not. I, I, I think darkness is uh, indicative of our day. Is, uh, we, we, are, we are so lost in so many ways as cultures, as societies, groping around, trying to find life, looking for what matters and what mean, what's meaningful, but we can't seem to find it. And what is the church here for but to shine the light, to bring people to the truth, to show people God has um, sent us as a church to be bearers of light, salt and light, all the other metaphors you can come up with from the book of John, different places, as, as John the Apostle wrote the book of John and, and showed in so many ways um, what God wanted us to do. But here we're lampstand. But what's happening among the lampstands Sovereign Lord is walking among the lampstands. The cosmic judge, the, the, the Lord of all, is walking among his people. And, and it, it, if you think about it rightly, if, if it gets a hold of you, just to think about Jesus in our midst right now. The creator of heaven and earth. The one who redeemed us and bought us with his blood. The one who is going to reign. Who already is, his, he's already received the kingdom. All authority is his. All power is his. He is the universal Lord of heavens. And the earth. And he's in our midst right now. Walking among the churches. Walking among the people of Living Water Bible Fellowship. The, uh, I don't know, the, the 10,000 churches in Colorado. The, the, each lampstand has the opportunity to shine its light. Each lampstand is, is either healthier or not. A bright flame or a dim flame that's about to go out. Where do we stand? Who are, who are we? How does Jesus see us? How does he evaluate us? 
Are we shining for him? Are we living for him? Are we, are we, are we, are we after him? Are we, are we doing our lives for him in worship or, or not? It's, it's a fascinating question. It's, uh, as you start running down that path of our purpose as a church, individually and corporately, a local church, an assembly of believers gathered to worship and serve Jesus, how are we doing in that? Um, he walks among the seven golden lampstands. So uh, he's writing to Ephesus. Ephesus is a mega church, uh, a mega city back in the day, I should say. About 250,000 people, one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. All kinds of uh, immoralities, all kinds of different religions and gods. The Temple of Artemis, the Artemis of Ephesus, remember that from Acts 19. Um, how, the big deal about Artemis is this massive worship of, in, in Latin, Diana, the god Diana. This, this, this god that was worshipped so powerfully in Ephesus and all the dark arts and all the, 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 the spiritual uh, <laughs> demonic things that went on in Ephesus. Uh, this, there's a small church, there's a small gathering of people of 250,000 people. Maybe there's, I don't know, maybe a 100-person church or a 200-person church. Maybe the size of our church. Maybe three or 400 people. Who knows how big? It wasn't very big in the, in the bigger context. The only light in the darkness. The only light in, for 250,000 people. Uh, there's not many churches left in the San Luis Valley here. Uh, there's a lot of churches that are on fumes right now. There's a lot of churches that will be dead soon. Uh, we've seen it. I, I said that 10 years ago, and we've seen a bunch of churches close, it, close, and there's going to be a bunch more closed in the coming years. How many lights, how many lampstands are going to be left in the San Luis Valley in the days to come? Uh, and why, why are they closing? Why are they going, uh, their doors being shut? I don't know. There's a lot, lots of reasons, lots of cultural reasons, lots of churches that are maybe not walking with Jesus anymore, don't love Jesus anymore, Churches that don't love one another anymore, not shining their light. What about us? Uh, this, this is a word for us. The Spirit is speaking to us through the, the inspired Word of God that came through the Apostle John, that came from the angel, that came from Jesus, that came from the Father. Verse 2. Are you listening, church? I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. <laughs> Uh, how you cannot bear with those who are evil. They've tested those who call themselves apostles or not and found them to be false. So there's some specifics there, but the over, the, in terms of our doctrinal faithfulness, our, our holding on to the truth, holding on to God's word, uh, adhering to what God has revealed, how are we doing in that arena? Uh, verse 3 is a, a fine summary of, of Ephesus in terms of a com, you know, kind of a, a attaboy, way to go, an encouragement, commending them for what? I know you are enduring patiently. The setting of Ephesus, imagine you're just this little church and 250,000 people, and a lot of people hate you. <laughs> a lot of people are mad at you because you've, remember back in Ephesus, remember when, when the gospel started to spread, and, and uh, a lot of the business owners started losing out on, on making money because people stopped buying those statues of Artemis? Remember how the, the people were so, like, they, they wanted to kill the Christians because they, they, the bottom line was they weren't making money. Because at the temple, you could go to their gift shop and buy all kinds of these little statues. And you could, these trinkets, these good luck charms that you could put in your house. And they weren't selling anymore because the gospel was going out and people didn't believe it anymore. The false gods. 
And then the Roman Empire, man, they, uh, they couldn't stand the Christians because the Christians said, I'm only living for Jesus. I'm not going to bow down to the emperor. I'm not going to worship the emperor. I'm not going to worship the Roman gods as if they have any power, any authority, any might. And it just it set, the, set the church at odds against the wider culture because they wouldn't capitulate. They wouldn't participate in the civic religion. They wouldn't participate in the things that the culture said you have to participate in. We're Ephesians. In our region, we worship Artemis or other local gods. And the Christians said, no, we don't. We hold to Jesus. And so he commends them in saying to, to them, I, I know you're enduring patiently. You know, persevering through suffering. Bearing up for my name's sake. Man, that's shining the light. When, hey, what are you living for? Well, I'm living for sports. I'm living for fishing. I'm living for this or that. They're, they're living for Jesus. It's, it's one of these things like, who are you? Well, I'm a Christian. Uh, well, I didn't ask that. Like, who are you? Well, I'm a business owner. I'm a nurse. I'm a this or I'm a that. I'm a school teacher. And, and if you push hard enough, maybe someone will say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, they're doing that. They're, 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 they're enduring patiently, and, and they're, they're praising the Lord as, as their Lord. You know, just as we kind of did today a little bit, we gave the glory to God in different ways that He's blessed our lives or helped us or brought us through things. These guys, man, they're, they're bearing up for my namesake. When they're having the opportunity to deny Jesus, they're not. When they're having the opportunity to say what do they believe and what they're holding on to, they're saying, Jesus is my Lord, and I'm going to trust Him, and I'm going to follow Him, and I'm going to obey Him. Uh, no matter if you put me in jail, you know, Rome, or if you are, you know, you, you worshipers of Artemis or Diana, you, you attack my family, you attack my house, I'm, I'm with Jesus all the way. You've not grown weary. What, what a commendation. What, what a, you haven't grown weary 43 years of, of sticking through thick and thin. Now, the church back then, uh, it's probably second, second generation, if, if it's 43 years old. Uh, they, they probably weren't, I mean, there were slaves in the church, there was rich people in the church, but typically in that, that season, they, they didn't move around nearly as much as we do. So there was a, a, a group of people that went through life together, having their babies and seeing their grandbabies born, and they've lived a life cycle, and Jesus is saying, hey, I've seen you the last 43 years, you've been faithful. Especially, we get in verse 2, doctrinally. Uh, so they've had, there was this thing about, uh, in the first century, they called them apostles. Um, there's the big A apostles, you know, like John or Paul or Peter, right? The 12 that Jesus called together. But there was these little A apostles, so to speak, messengers, representatives from certain churches that in the first century and second century, they would travel about like, like roving missionaries, so to speak. They called them apostles, and sometimes they claimed to be apostles. Now, there was a claim, uh, as we saw in 2 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul's battle with the super apostles, those who really thought they were apostles, and how he put them in their place in 2 Corinthians. Um, but it was common knowledge that there would be these traveling missionaries. They claim that they were uh, walking with Jesus. They claimed to have an authoritative word from Jesus. And we've had people come into our church before that, hey, Jesus has told me uh, that I should say something to your church that you need to change and do this or that, or you need to be uh, more liturgical or more Pentecostal or more this or more of that. <laughs> it's, it's always interesting when people come with that, 
that this, this same mindset like, God told me to tell you. And whenever, whenever I hear that, I, you know, I've got to be very humble, you know, because uh, I've got to be humble. <laughs> and I've got to listen. But look what they did. They, 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 uh, for, there's kind of a passive description there. You, you didn't tolerate those who were evil. Now, from Jesus' perspective, they didn't come with the right motives. They didn't come representing Jesus. They didn't come from, uh, from a, a point of, of honoring Jesus. They came to maybe use and abuse. Uh, the Apostle Paul in, in Ephesians, uh, or Acts 20, he, t- he told the elders in Ephesus that wolves would be coming to their church. That wolves would be coming with false doctrine and false teaching and, and uh, um, things that weren't uh, of the Scriptures, weren't the authoritative part of the Bible. They, they would teach things that were wrong, ungodly, unchristian. And sure enough, uh, there was these, these apostles that came and said, hey, we, we're coming from Jesus, we're coming from the Lord, and you have to do what we say. And so uh, Christ applauds them again and said, hey, uh, you, you, you didn't put up with those who came with evil motives. In a passive sense, you know, you, you didn't... Like sometimes we, we're, we can't bear with people that lie, we can't bear with people that cheat, or we can't bear with people that are immoral, you know, like, uh, but, but we can be very passive in that, and like, okay, let live, let live, we're in a pluralistic society, we've got to work with people, and we just let them, let them go, but when they come into the church, when we just let things happen like that, when we don't talk about doctrine and theology, we want to talk about the truth, uh, it, letting people just go like that can sidetrack people's faith. The, the enemy can use people like that to grab a hold of people and pull them away from Jesus. And so in more of an active sense, uh, you examine them, it says in verse 2. Uh, you tested those who called themselves apostles or not. You found them to be false. And so uh, there's this real emphasis in the church about being righteous before God. Uh, they want to be true doctrinally. Kind of a deal. And, and they, they show themselves to be doing that. Uh, in the coming weeks, we'll maybe talk about some of the threats against our church, maybe some of the things that we face in this culture in this day, some of the things that we need to stand against. Because there, there's every, cent, every generation, every century, there's threats against each local church, and we have our own unique situations here. Uh, so we'll look in that as we go further. Uh, maybe you can think of some things. I, I, w- I would suggest that probably one of the most dangerous parts of, of who we are today is many Christians are biblically illiterate. And even in our church, I've been embarrassed sometimes by how little our, our, the brethren in our church know about the Bible or about what God says. And isn't that, if you're biblically illiterate, if you're not learning the Bible, if you're not studying the Bible, if you don't know what it says, isn't that make you easy pickings for the false teachers? Does, does, doesn't that set you up to be uh, devoured by the wolves because you don't know what God says. And so, hey, we're Living Water Bible Fellowship. <laughs> it should be something where we know our Bibles, we know the word, word of God. So when someone comes and says something to us, we should be like the Bereans and go look at, examine the scriptures to know what they say. God's very word given to us. Are we holding on to it or not? So we'll talk about that more in coming days. But look at the, the main emphasis of, of what Jesus has to say in this text, is verse 4. But, notice that word. (laughs) You always want to notice when there's buts in God's word. I have this against you. That's strong, that's strong. But he's our Lord, he owns the church. He can say whatever he wants to, right? Because it's not about our feelings, not, not about our emotion, about what we want. 
We're our, we are his doulos. We're, we're his, his servant. We, we belong to Jesus, uh, all of us as the church as a whole. Uh, I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Wow, what a big statement. Abandoned is a strong word. Forsaken, some of your translation, you've forsaken the love that you had at first. Now, there's uh, some different translations here or different ways of, of reading this. Uh, some of your translations said you've abandoned your first love. Okay, and, and uh, this translation says you've abandoned the love you had at first. So there's a chronology like the first. When you first became Christians, there's a love that you had that you've forsaken, you've gone away from. Or there's a most important kind of love. You've abandoned your first love. Right? And so there's debates about what exactly is being said here. I take it as a chronological statement. I, I walk with, in terms of, as I studied it this week and thought through it some and tried to process it, I think it's, it's referring to a love that you had at first, at the beginning of your Christian walk. You've forsaken it. You've departed from it. You've fallen into certain patterns. Uh, notice uh, notice uh, what the... Let's talk about the, th the threat to, to if, if they continue down this path first. Um, uh, first, it says, uh, remember. Remember, therefore, where, you, where you've fallen. So remember where you were at the beginning of your Christian walk. Remember in days past where you were faithful. Remember how you used to live back then. And then it moves on to a, another a verb, a, a call to us. Repent. You know, the idea of remembering, of why do we come to the table to remember? We come to remember what Jesus did for us to save us, right? So we, we can keep that in the, in the apple of our eyes, so we can keep that in the core of our mind that we remember we've been saved by grace and grace alone. We've been saved by Jesus for His glory. Uh, we remember, again, so it says remember, but then repent. Once you remember how far you've fallen, it's a great fall. Man, back when you had that love, when you had that passion, when you had that fervor, when you had that zeal. And he's saying, now, when I look at you, Ephesus, when I look at you, church, you got some doctrinal things going on that are right, boy. But man, what about your love? And the threat here is, is if they don't, if they, the call is to remember, repent, and do the works you did at first. He's saying, so repentance means you turn back to where you were. You go back to what you were doing before. You go back to pleasing the Lord as He called you to be, how He taught you. And if you don't, it says, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So Living Water Bible Fellowship is 47 years old, thereabouts. And if, we're, if this is speaking of us, if we don't change our ways, Jesus is going to come in judgment. If we don't return to what He's called us to be and do, if we don't live the way He wants us to live, uh, He's going to end the church. So through the centuries, all these churches we're going to read about, they all came to a point of uh, termination for various reasons. Uh, some repented, some went different directions, some lasted for a long time, but none of them are in existence today. Uh, and we wonder... When, when does a church end its, its uh, walk? You know, sovereign God who has us in His hand. Uh, there's circumstances. There's things happening around us. There's things we can't control. But if Jesus wants the church to be open, <laughs> He's going to make sure it's open. 
But uh, this is a word of judgment. Just like last week, are you prepared to meet the king? Are you prepared to meet the Lord? Are you living according to his ways, his standards? Or does he find us deficient, uh, lacking in some sense? So the big question here, what is that first love? What is that love that he's called us to be a part of and be, be active in? There's really three, uh, three ways, three, three options here. The first one is love for Jesus. A love for Jesus. Uh, they, they, if, if we're to read it this way, that this church has gone cold for their Lord. They don't love Jesus anymore. They don't love God anymore. They're, they're not, they're not uh, you know, like, like the word there is agape, like this, this self-giving, self-perpetuating, uh, sacrificial love for the Lord anymore. They, they, they don't have it. Um, I, I think that's a possibility, and certainly um, Jesus said at the, at the end, you know, the love of most will grow cold. You can, uh, you can write down 2 Timothy chapter 3 at the last days. You know, you can read 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 about how uh, people will depart from a love for Jesus amongst other things in the last days. Um, I, I think this is, this is probably not speaking to a love for Jesus or a love for God, even though that's incumbent upon everything we do for the Lord. Uh, because obviously they've stayed faithful. <laughs> they've stayed close to the Lord doctrinally. They, they believe in His Word. They're, they're walking with Jesus in some capacity. And so the word forsake is a strong word. It's, uh, in certain, certain places, it's used for divorce. You divorced yourself from, from your, your first life. And that's not the case, uh, in my opinion. I don't think they've, they've departed from Jesus in, the, in a point of, of losing their love for Him. Um, might not be as healthy as it could be. The flame might not be as hot as it should be. But uh, obviously, they, uh, they've stayed faithful. They, they've stayed true in so many ways to Jesus when they had so many opportunities not to. I think there's a love. Uh, a second option is they've, they've left their love for the church. Okay? And the scenario that's painted sometimes here, like the brethren, like, man, you're a minority in a great, vast ocean of people that don't like you or, or despise your theology or despise who you worship kind of deal. Um, you need to hold together. You need to be strong. You need to be one. And uh, um, boy, in our, our culture, we've been so spoiled with so many churches. But as the churches maybe are, are lessening, are we going to come together as a church and be one or not? Are we going to live in unity as a church? Are we going to love one another as a church? Or are we going to be these consumers that kind of look at the church from the outside and we step in for a little while, consume a little bit, depart? Or are we in as a church together? You know, in our modern age, it's so easy to look at a church from the worldly perspective. You add a little bit of church to your life. You go there to consume and take a little bit, but you never commit. You never get involved. You never participate in the lives, the messy lives of people and love people. As Jesus, Jesus has made the church for us. He's called us, every Christian, to be part of a church in a deep way, not just a passive kind of, I'm going to go see what they got today kind of a way. How sinful is that to be a consumer of the church when you've been made to be part of a church, to live out your life in a church, to the blessing of others. I, I, I don't know. This one, again, it's, it's one of these things that there's no evidence here that they don't love one another. Um, the, the idea behind this, this idea that they're not a church anymore that loves one another, some have run down the path of, well, when churches get orthodox, when they get really, uh, you know, in their reformation, they get so so worried about doctrine and theology, they become heresy hunters. Kind of like uh, on the internet today, you can go and you can find criticisms of every church out there, right? Heresy hunters that are always looking and nitpicking and looking for things to tear apart. 
Maybe the idea being here that they've lost the love for one another is that they become so, uh, so cold in their orthodoxy that, that they're suspicious of one another and they're not trusting one another anymore. It's hard to love people that are always tearing you apart. I don't see evidence for it. So when I come to this text, is, is, you know, wrestle with a lot. The, the imagery that's used, the picture, is this, this thing of a lampstand, right? Uh, if, you know the, if you know the history of Ephesus, you know that at the beginning, and, you, and I'm not, I don't have time to go into it today. I, I wrote it down as a text, but I don't have time to go into it today. Uh, if you wrote, write down uh, Acts uh, 19. Uh, you can write down Acts 19 and uh, uh, that, that, that first season, especially verses 8 through 12, 8 through 10 rather, 8 through 10, Acts 19, 8 through 10. Uh, man, when, when Paul came to Ephesus on that missionary journey and he started that, that teaching center, the Hall of Tyrannius, uh, this, this beautiful thing happened where, where over the course of two years, as he taught people, as he edified the church, it, it, you know, not just him going out, but the church, it seems, went out to the province of Asia, like they, they went out passionately with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says at the end of that two years, like everybody in the, the province of Asia has heard the gospel. Wow. It took a bunch of passionate, zealous people for that to happen, to want to see their community one for Christ, to want to see their community hear the gospel and respond to the gospel and be saved. A lot of times in churches, we, we come to the conclusion that the church is about us, and we get insular, we get like thinking about ourselves, we think about the church, the pastor's here to meet my needs, the church is here to meet my needs, you know, it comes this thing where it's always inward focus, and we have all these ministries for ourselves, and all these ministries for our kids, and there's good stuff happening, there's great stuff happening, but after a while, a church can be, become so insular, so inward focus, they lose sight of the mission of Jesus Christ. Man, what is a lampstand? A lampstand is supposed to shine the light. A lampstand is supposed to take the light to the world. Uh, Jesus is, uh, his, what do you say in Luke 19.10? I came to seek and save the lost. Right, what do you say in John 17.18? As I've been sent into the world, I'm sending you into the world. What do you say in Matthew 28? Go and make disciples of all nations. He gave us marching orders uh, of the thir- three options, I think. The love that they've lost is the love they had at first of being on mission with Jesus. The love of seeing people one to Christ. The love of seeing people come to be saved. And he's saying, man, I think you've lost it. You've forsaken that. It's a natural kind of a life cycle of a church. That when a church first starts, it starts kind of with an excitement. They're on mission. They have mission statements that they're living by. But they want to see Jesus worship. They want to see Jesus praise. He's changed their life. Now they want to see their family's lives change. They want to see their friends' lives change. They want to see their family who is nowhere near Jesus come to worship Jesus. And so they share the gospel. They get passionate about sharing the gospel. They're looking for... And this, this, this church, this spoke to me this week because I used to be that man that was really passionate about the gospel. I used, to, I used to be that man, especially before my kids came. Man, I'd wake up every morning like, what opportunities do I have today to exalt Jesus? What opportunities do I have today as I'm going to work? I was working at Safeway. I was working at these different places before I went down a theological road uh, uh, in terms of a vocation. 
working at a call center, uh, working different places, different jobs like that. I, I was excited to go to work to share my faith. I was excited to see what, what, what is Jesus doing in that person's life as I ask questions. I was excited to go to the store because <laughs> of interactions, possible interactions to share my love of Jesus, how Jesus saved my life, how Jesus changed me. I was excited back in the day. But the natural lifestyle of people, of individuals, is, is after a while we get thinking, you know, our friends become Christians, our, 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 our ruts become just Christian, and there's good things. Of course, we need to love one another, be a part of a church, edify one another, make disciples of one another. Uh, man, but the life cycle, they have this confession, they have this statement of truth that they want the world to know, and they, the people are excited, and they go out like they did in, in Ephesus in the province of Asia. They went, they went, and they saw people's lives change. The whole region and many other churches that we're going to read about in the coming weeks, they were probably planted during the same time when Ephesus was growing. But then a church tends to plateau. They, they get in ruts. They get with, in relationship with their, with their friends. They, they start thinking about their house or their home or their business or their life. They lose the focus. What's happening here, I think, is what happens to most churches. They, they either plateau and then they start to decline because they've lost that fervor. They've lost that love for seeing people one to Jesus Christ. They've lost that passion, that zeal, that zest to see lives saved. And people go to a Christless eternity because they've never heard the gospel. And we're shocked when family members in our family die without ever hearing the gospel because we've never spoken it. We're shocked that our co-workers go to hell because they've never come to Jesus Christ. They've never trusted His redemptive power. They've never trusted His salvation that He's brought to them as a gift that they're called to receive. We're shocked when, because we've kept silent, people aren't coming to Christ. And I think what He's saying to this glorious church in Ephesus, and maybe what He's saying to us, is that you've forsaken your first love. You've forsaken that that life that you used to live for Jesus, for people's sake. You've forsaken that for comfort or security or safety or I'm not doing it right or whatever you're forsaking for. You've left it. So remember where you were, like I did this week. Remember when you first came to Christ, when you first tasted grace, when you first were saved, and you're just in awe that God would do that for you and you wanted others to know about it. Remember where you were. Repent if you need to repent. If we as a church need to repent, you know, we got great programs, we got great systems, whatever, whatever we're doing good. What's most important other than being on mission for Jesus? What's most important, more important than seeing people cross over from death to life, people being one to Jesus, being saved? Maybe we need to, if we need to repent, do so. And then, let's return back to what we did at first. We need one another in this. We need encouragement from one another. We need to be doing this as a church. Because the letter is to the church and the Spirit is speaking to this church and the churches throughout the world today. Come back. Do what matters most. And may Jesus get all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. As life after life 
turn to him, saved, and become his worshipers. Well, look at the time. Please stand in the Lord's presence. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for calling us to meet with you. We've assembled as this local body of believers. Lord, give us the grace and the courage to face together whatever is coming. Give us the, uh, the uh, insight. Give us the wisdom. Give us the things that you want us to understand from this text. Uh, Holy Spirit, apply it to our life and call us to change and call us to be the people you want us to be. Lord, if we are cold in our love for you, Please transform us and change us and make us the men and women that you want us to be. Let us love you again as you're so worthy of. If we have aught with one another in this building or maybe we're separate from the post-COVID, we've separated ourselves from others and we're not involved in community anymore, uh, help us repent of that and return into community and return to relationships as you as you've decided the church should be. Uh, Lord, so if, if we're not loving one another, help us to, to remember, repent, and, and change those ways. But Lord, if, uh, if we are not the church that's on mission with you anymore, if we've departed from serving you or living for you or being your bearers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we, uh, we, we humbly ask that you'd bring us to that point where we, we come back to you, come back to faithfulness, come back to being that light bearer that you want us to be. Uh, show us how that goes, Lord, but please, Lord, um, don't take your hand off this church. Please keep your hand on this church. We want to serve you. We want to be that instrument, that tool in your hands that brings you glory. And uh, we want to see people saved and transformed and be part of your eternal body of Christ. Send us out now into the world as uh, your witnesses, as your, as your ambassadors, as your servants. And Lord, uh, we love you. Thank you for loving us and making us your people. Be praised this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity, or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.